This is What Goddesses Watch, a film and TV podcast that takes a divinely badass dive into the feminine on screen. With me, Soma Ghosh, film critic and editor of The Demented Goddess magazine. And this is the Andrea Arnold special with Wendy Erskine, the acclaimed writer of short stories, often described as one of the leading voices of Belfast realism. But we've just been talking about how we don't pay any mind to such categories, haven't we, Wendy? We have, yes. We've been ditching, ditching all these categories. <laughs> but it is, it's such a delight on pretty much almost the eve of your new book, Dance Move, coming out. And it's also almost the eve of Andrea Arnold's new film, Cow, coming out online. It's in, it's in cinemas. It's just come out in the cinemas. So it's going to be available on Mubi from the 11th February. And when I was thinking about Andrea Arnold's beauty, melancholy, urgency, and thinking, why, which which leading woman with an ex, obviously, artist I'd like to talk to you about? It was like, it was just no contest. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. That's so nice to hear. Well, I'm very glad to be here and I'm really looking forward to, to chatting about it, to chatting about these films with you. We are today looking at three films we'd love to talk about more but we have chosen Fish Tank from 2007, American Honey from 2016 and Cow to discuss the themes and questions that might come out from there. We want to talk about how we feel about middle class art being made from working class and precarious lives, the abuse of young women, Arnold's stylistic use of the thriller and the what I call the urban pastoral and love and sex in the chaotic, painful, yet paradisical worlds that Arnold creates. And we're starting with Fish Tank. I know before we started recording, you were saying how Red Road was first. Is that right? Yeah, so Red Red Road was was the first one that I had watched from Andrea Arnold. And I'd actually watched it on a very, very grainy old fashioned TV, which actually fitted in with the whole the whole vibe of the of the film, really. So, yeah, that was my that was my first one. Because that involves CCTV and voyeurism. That's right. right. Yeah. And that that's an actual thriller. Yes, that's 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 right. And that 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 just that whole idea of voyeurism is just something that I, I kind of come to again and again whenever I'm thinking about films, but also stories and just art generally, I suppose I would say, Soma. So that's going to be an interesting thing to look at, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that way of, of how lives append upon each other and intrude upon each other and move in and out seems mm-hmm. to me to be something that you've pursued in, in your short stories. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's totally fair. I think, it's, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, one of, one of the stories from um, Sweet Home that would be one of my favourites is called Observation and it's entirely about a girl who is uh, observing her um, best friend, her best friend's mother and her best friend's mother's partner in a situation that's not in it's it's not it doesn't really map onto to fish tank but it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit like that in my story the um the sort of central consciousness is is really really interested in the mother and really i suppose you would say fancies the mother so it's not exactly the same sort of thing but it's the same impetus in a sense that a lot of people have when they're when they're not just watching film and um not just experiencing art but also in real life looking at other people and their lives and finding other people's lives interesting you know yeah, and perhaps maybe being defined by what others are doing. And I think that 
position of the isolated teenager or the isolated female versus the various tribes around her and powerful individuals around her seems to be not just a familiar theme in Arnold's work, but I found that to be the case even with Cow. So if we start with Fish Tank, Mm -hmm. Fish Tank, the story is about 15-year-old Mia, who's played by debut actor Katie Jarvis. And she is the socially isolated and emotionally abused daughter of a single mother on, I don't know, I was thinking maybe an an, an Essex or Kent council estate who finds a new self-belief in her obsession with dancing when a sexual relationship develops with her mother's boyfriend, who is played by Michael Fassbender. The role of dance. So your your new book is called Dance Move, and there's a lot of watching in that. In fact, there's I recall there's there's a mother watching her teenage daughter dancing with her friend. What did you make of the role of dance in Fish Tank? You've just mentioned there that that Mia develops sort of self esteem through dance, and I kind of thought that dance was being used in all sorts of really interesting ways, and they weren't often sexualized ways. Um, which is normally our go-to for, for, for dance, you know, and I've heard people define dance as, you know, moving your body around so other people are going to want to grab it. And that's, that's not, that's not the way it works here at all. So for me, you know, dance is a means of expression, sometimes a non, a non-sexual expression, even though someone else viewing it may well regard that as such. You know, the, there's there's one point where, where me is practicing her dance and, you know, Connor goes, oh, you know, I've, I've the, her, her, her mother's boyfriend saying, you know, I really enjoyed that and so on. But she wasn't performing that for his for his sort of delectation or benefit or whatever. Dance is also a way of making money. In this um, film as well, it's a, it's potentially a means of independence and how you can actually gain some kind of autonomy. But it's also a way of exploring um, relationships. I don't like, i I got to say, I, I don't really like musicals and I don't really like films where people all start dancing at some at some point and it's as if the action totally cuts and we enter into this other thing now I know lots of people love this personally I just I just don't really like it but the way dance works here is that it's kind of really really seamless in terms of what it's doing with the with with the character so it's a really sad part at the end beautiful part I think where um the mother and the two daughters so you know there's the mother and there's Mia but there's also the little the little girl as well um Tyler who maybe talk about a little bit later as well because I think she's wonderful and they do this kind of synchronized dance and it's the closest they are that I felt it's the closest they ever are in the film. I completely agree with you about dance as a form of identity and The first image that we have is of Mia bent double standing squat, um, almost like she's self birthing. And it is absolutely not the dancing that is to be a honey trap for men, like the dancing of her mother and her ex best friend and rival girls on the estate. This is androgynous break dancing. You know, she's always she's a tomboy who wears grey mile tracksuit and mesh vest. And even her walk is sloping and skulking. It is it is not the walk of a dancer. And so although there is this romance and and, you know, inner physicality, obviously, in the dance, which expresses itself in this in this tribal oneness potentially with others this is this is not just this is not an imaginative escape in the way that dance is usually portrayed on film but rather it's just it's a bullet of self-willed volition and 
Mia moves jerkily and ste- and steely through the movie, like running, headbutting, wandering around with a hammer and a plastic bag, trying to smash a horse's manacle and, and free the horse. And and so for me, like the the dance and Mia's dance, which is basically okay, but it's really like the intensity and focus of her locked away in a in a smashed flat uh, that she that she that she squats in and, and and swigs cider through through her sweaty uh routines dance is is a way of expressing the urgent supple restlessness of arnold's style at large throughout mm. anything that she makes i think like that kind of physical urgency and her propulsive use of hip hop that is violent but cheerful yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good description and also as well, there's the right, there's also as well the assertion not to dance. That, you know, that's another really key aspect that, you know, somebody puts you in the plinth and tells you to, to dance a certain way and you can just go, nah, no, that's not me. I'm not doing it. That's true. That that physical control, mm-hmm. um, which she doesn't have in other parts of the film as she kind of, encounters her sexuality but there's an obvious um parallel between Mia and the white horse who uh is shackled nearby in a in a trailer camp I wanted to ask you uh often celebrated as a writer of working class lives um whether or not you agree with that (laughs) (laughs) but what what do we think about working class lives being turned into middle class art. So I, I kind of think there's so many ways of looking at it. You know, who number one, who's doing who's responsible for this representation? Is it a middle class person who's responsible for this for this representation? And also what what's people's res, what's people's response to it? You know, the reality of other people's lives being served up for entertainment um is a is a kind of a problematic thing but at the same time also as well you can say about the selection of the particular working class lives that are being picked up on you know perhaps art wants perhaps films perhaps writers pick sometimes pick stereotypical working class lives at their most chaotic so that some people can can you know watch a text or can read a book and say this is actually nothing like working class life as i as i actually know it um and you know, how do people come away from viewing something? Do they come away with a sense of sort of complacency and feel kind of um smug and think, oh goodness, I'm so glad I don't live a life like that. But I suppose for me, kind of the 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 worst thing is that if you only notice people in an art context, I think that's I think that's the the worst thing. You know that certain people's lives maybe only matter in a particular defined context of a film or a, a text. And so, you know, maybe you, you don't notice the person lifting your bins. You don't notice the person who's, you know, cleaning the floors in your work. All that goes by you. But, you know, you'll spend a long time talking with a friend about, you know, the Ken Loach film that you saw and how much you enjoyed it. That, to me, that's that's not uh, that's not good. But, you know, I kind of wondered, um, Soma, in this, in this film, if um Andrea Arnold was almost addressing that impetus to be interested in other people's lives and the chaos of other people's lives with that character Connor, who's almost on a kind of a he's almost on a bit of a working class um holiday, if you know what I mean, whenever he comes to um to to um Mia's mother's house. What what do you think? I think that's a very good and interesting point. Connor is 
the kind of he's an Irish, I suppose one might say, stereotypically charmer. Um, his approach is uh, give women what they want and keep them happy. So there's that aspect of fecklessness about these types of men who are just blameless because they were just giving you what you appeared to want. And yeah, and there is this question about why Connor is attracted to the febrile with suppressed emotion, but otherwise fairly quiet or explosive Mia, unless he is like some kind of perv on a working class porn fantasy and now that you've put it like that well you didn't put it like that I just put it like that of course (laughs) predictably (laughs) but now that you've made me see it through that lens of like what's in it for him I do query that and 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 just to just think a little bit about the moment about what so what's the world that we're talking about here well it seems to be Essex or Kent it's near the Dartford Mm -hmm. marshes it's a world of meadowlands beer gardens riverways and bogs but it's dominated by the main artery roads and orbitals and sure Mia's experience is saturated with booze verbal and emotional neglect sexual assault maternal neglect But of course, all of those particular things can happen in middle and upper class lives Mm -hmm. as well. So um, my feeling was that ultimately, perhaps actually Arnold is, she's probably interested in the interesting distinctions of what isolate people, whatever that might be. And class might be one of those things. But she seems to be less interested in working class porn than good dramatic material. Um, The things which stuck out for me are the use that she makes of Mm -hmm. animals and children. And we'll talk about that in the other films as well. Mm -hmm. But in Mm -hmm. this in in, in this film, we've got we've got the um, got the trailer family's white horse. We've got Mia's own black dog who just yaps around and bumps into things and is just perennially ignored um we have of course fish uh, connor takes the takes the girls all, all all fishing one day and there's there's um it's obviously a, a river by the dartford crossing and then there are starlings flocking and curling above them and animals seem to be a, a symbol of the kind of release and movement that isn't available in the council estate life so there isn't Neither there's neither sentimentalizing nor is there um, any looking down on this situation. But when we see the children, those looks on you mentioned Tyler, the little the, the the little girl, Mia's little sister, and Mia's face when a person comes into their flat. In this case, it's Connor who's fucking their mum, and plays with them. That look of longing that's in the faces of both the children that really affected me that that children need play they need physical contact or they delight in it we all do but particularly we feel like there's a free time a time free of care where you might get to experience play physical contact sun water movement and life and I did feel like we were being shown that 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 those things just aren't available in 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 this scene uh, on what goddesses watch, we have um, not a rating system, but we but we celebrate and um, slightly turn our noses up because you know critics have to have to be snooty about something. Um, Lorraine Hansbury, um, the the guiding star of this, so we have our Hansbury and Pantsbury moments, or they might be aspects <laughs> of the film. So. Hansbury, what 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 were what were the strengths? And then I'm going to ask you for your Pantsbury. 
acting, I thought the acting, I thought the acting was phenomenal. I thought the acting was absolutely wonderful. That's something that puts me off films, to be honest, because I often think the acting isn't much good. And obviously these people have all had wonderful training and so on. But sometimes I just find acting so, so mannered and so... I just don't believe in it. It didn't surprise me that, you know, some of some of the actors had really um had really never done it before. Now that sounds contradictory. It didn't surprise me that some of them had never done it before. If I'm a person that doesn't like mannered acting, that's a strength for me that they haven't done it too much before. The one thing I thought, right, I, I also really loved the I really loved the mother, and I again thought she was a, she was absolutely excellent as an as an actor, but what I thought I didn't think her character was as complex as, as I mean, I did. I did love it. Right? I'm really nitpicking here. But, you know, other than her saying to me, I put some clothes on, you know, where you saw her insecurity and you saw, oh, shit, I've got a I've got a teenage daughter with not many clothes on and I've got a new boyfriend. And um, other than that, there wasn't much of a sense of her kind of insecurities. And I suppose I kind of would have liked to see a little bit more of a little bit more of that, really. She seemed all. She seemed a bit one note almost at times, but I still thought she was really great. Yeah, I agree. Am I being unfair? Do you think I'm being unfair? No, that was in fact exactly what I was. Uh, what I had as my pantsbury. It was interesting in terms of contrasted with the the gooey chumminess that she has towards the girlfriends of her own age, and mm. she shows herself in her rather fabulous. Um, honey trap dancing um, mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, to be to be one of those girls, the other girls on the estate that Mia is not like. But I did I did feel that the, that 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 her characterization was a little a little simplistic. You know that the hard lines were in there. The only I mean I suppose the only thing that expresses um, the mother's position is perhaps the Caribbean island sunset mural. Um, in her sitting room and I think again that's a it's a it's a very interesting decision on Arnold's part to absolutely uh, situate herself in the blues and the greys and the lemons of the estate um, but to but to show us show us this 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 dream um, at the same time and, and to use the set to talk about this otherwise quite yeah, emotionally um, mm-hmm. very opaque, I think, as as a mother. Um, but and for me, um, Hansbury is actually actually the sound design, and we you know those uh, moments where we hear the thunder rolling over the estate and the motorway, the rustling of trees, and those moments of skin to skin contact, where everything slows down, especially when Mia is in contact with. Connor, the combination of those things all together reflect this larger body of desire and loss that exists all around mm-hmm. the people in the film. That desire and loss is always at play in society and it's always at play in nature. And that reflects Mia's desire for escape and movement. So yeah, love, love the sound in this, which takes us on to American Honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a, an absolutely fabulous soundtrack moving from American hip hop and a bit of indie rock and the the melancholy country song itself, American Honey. In this film, where we have another acting debut, so you were just saying how you appreciate the, the first timers. So this is Sasha Lane, who I think I saw recently in Loki, this is her acting debut, and she plays Star, 
an abused and penniless 18 year old from Texas who quits caring for her tiny step siblings and takes off with a band of young traveling magazine sellers. So that they're called the mag crew. Um, this is like a real phenomenon in the US and they peddle sob stories for subscriptions. The only requirements being that she will work hard and no one will miss her. When she falls in love with Jake, played by Shia LaBeouf, the rat-tailed pack leader, self-styled lone wolf and bitch of boss Riley Keough, Star becomes willing to take bigger risks with predatory clients as this epic takes us on. This, as I said, hip-hop spewing, glowworm lit, angsty campfire sing-along road trip around America. What did you like? What did you like most? What I like most, right, I'm being very um, predictable here, but what I like most was Sasha Lane's performance. I thought she was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely um, believable. What I like most were probably a couple of couple of scenes, I suppose I would say, that I thought about over and over again afterwards. Um, and one of the scenes that I absolutely loved was, was one that was almost moving away um, from sort of realism of any sort to almost some sort of David Lynch style thing is whenever um, Star gets picked up by three cowboys and it's almost surreal they're there and these you know they've got this big vast landscape you've got this shiny shiny car and you've got these three men in identical spanking white shirts and it was almost like a kind of a slightly sinister ZZ top that's what I was that's what I was thinking of and I just couldn't work out <laughs> how sinister these guys these guys were and so I I went from thinking these guys are very sinister because um the guy who was driving whenever she said whenever Star says you know I I'm, I'm on my own or I you know I don't have I don't have family it was just like a little tiny movement of his head he, he clocked that to then thinking actually these are sort of like okay-ish good old boys whenever they went back to the house and they um were were drinking were drinking mezcal and, and and so on. So I found that scene absolutely gripping because to me it was teetering on sort of sinister and not sinister, and it was bringing together some of the ideas as well about like as you were saying earlier, it's all sorts of little bugs and creatures the whole way through this film, and you know bugs that are trapped and so on. Um, there was the whole idea of water that crops up over and over again as well, and to me that was a superb scene. Yeah, that scene could be a Wendy Erskine story. I can see this being, <laughs> I can see why that would, you know. For me, the the paradise and danger of this America, this America which fuses with an Edenic take on the first sexual passion of a woman. So I don't know if you remember, there's a moment after the two of them have taken off in the cowboy's sort of Cadillac-like gleaming white car. Mm -hmm. And as they're driving, they're, they're touching and looking and, and, and wordlessly, Jake, the leader of the magazine selling Pat, but also bitch of boss girl and star, they're sort of falling for each other. And at one point she, she, she stands up with her arms aloft and, and the wind rippling through her. And she says, I feel like I'm America. 
and she looks like the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, that Edenic fusing of the paradise in danger, the sunset canyons, the bears, and the the butterflies being, you know, closely hooked in to her erotic experience is what is most memorable about the film. There are so many things you can say about it as a, as a road trip, as a, as a statement on America. And I found it interesting that like Mia, Star can't s- swim. So here you have another young woman who is trapped by land that oozes blood and guns. And she feels solidarity with those trapped honeybees that she saves from the swimming pools and, and the windows. So yeah, I think the sort of the danger the constant um, danger and bliss of the paradise and and the movement between the two of them. But what did you make of the threat of abuse and how we're shown abuse? Because this story begins with Star scavenging for food in a skip where food's been thrown out and, and finding a bloody chicken, which she hands to her younger siblings, as she's been abandoned by all but a daddy figure who's possibly a, a stepfather, possibly her father, it's, it's not made clear, who in the first few minutes of, of the film after she's had the high of meeting Jake, um, proceeds to get to get drunk and, and sexually grope her. What did you make of the abuse of Star? And more broadly, perhaps a question of whether the abuse of females is inevitable in Andrea Arnold's world. What's what do you think Arnold's attitude is to that? Well, I thought I find the start of that film incredibly arresting and very, very upsetting whenever, you know, there was that scene with the with the guy that she is calling that she is calling Daddy. Um, and I also find um, the sort of projected idea as well that she she is leaving. We don't know if um, so. Another scene I thought was superb was whenever they go to the line dancing and you know Star is trying to find someone else a relation who is going to look after these kids. You don't know if, if that person is actually going to take on that responsibility or not. And you know the projection that there's another child there, a younger child, um, who also views this guy as daddy. And I find that whole future projection really kind of, really kind of disturbing. What I think as well, though, um, in Andrea Arnold, abuse is, I don't mean physical abuse, but abuse is almost not gendered in the sense that what you have as well are abusive, abusive women. Um, and in Fish Tank, you have got any number of, of, there's no kind of female solidarity in, in Fish Tank really at all, that you have got the friends beating each other up. You have got you have got no sort of central female character um, who sort of stands apart from, from all of that. And so, um, you know, you've also got the, the crystal character in, um, you've also got the crystal character in um, American Honey. Um, sort of boss girl who's also in her own way very very abusive so to me it's kind of like a, it's pretty prevalent in relation to absolutely everybody men and women is that unfair do you think no I think that's true there is this almost internecine exchange but at the same time it does feel that there is maybe a bit more of a slant uh, as there is in the world of oh, yeah. uh, patriarchal mm-hmm. abuse um, mm-hmm. If we think about the adults who are in uh, American Honey, we see um, uh, single mothers are just 
out of it on meth, unable to look after their children, mm. or wealthy cowboys that we've mentioned barbecuing steak, lonely mm. men wanting sex at oil rigs. Um, there isn't a place in this vision for caring for children. And then, as you say, if there isn't a case for caring for children, we're all children who become mm-hmm. adults. So it is inevitably um, cyclical. And I also agree on uh, Riley um, Keogh's, um brilliant uh, depiction of Crystal as the magazine uh, girl boss. She's like this sparking potential fuse of blonde Texan rage that's continually dampened by her own calculations on money. And the best thing that she can think to do as being a a girl boss is to ape the gangster whoring of boys. Um, So being able to fuck whoever she wants, um, get boys to be her bitches, oiling her up, you know, all of these things, which could be like straight out of any any number of gangster uh, music videos are all about power more than sex. It's obviously quite difficult to watch Shia LaBeouf's character, um, who is given actually a fair amount of sympathy and at the same time is infuriating in, in American Honey, given what we know about his abuse of FKA twigs and 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 how similar in fact his character has been portrayed through that court case so his alcoholism his seduction his gaslighting and control of star and his explosions of violence against the men he feels taking his territory I thought ultimately on the one hand there was something moving about his need of her and her need to be needed. But Andrea Arnold very cleverly presents that, I don't know if that was just serendipitous, that there's a scene towards the end of, at the end of one of those trips, they're literally playing with fire, they're jumping through the fire because they are just children. And that's the other thing about American Honey, they're presented as their children on a school exchange, singing songs and swigging from the bottle and being in a bomb (laughs) days. And he gives her a turtle, which she then takes to the water. And that just seemed to me a fantastic metaphor for the position of of men and and women and of course typically you might say that that, that where it would have borne out as being a film about actually getting into female design female position for me would have been if there'd been some clitoral stimulation wendy well do you know what i right see the the sheila booth character um, Jake, I just found a prat, right? Now, I had a bit of a problem generally with the bus of people because to me it seemed like you were saying like kind of a school trip and I totally get that. To me it was like a sort of a frat party. It was like a kind of a travelling frat party um, with with tattoos and kind of quite cool haircuts. It felt to me sort of central casting almost in terms of the various different sorts of youth cultures that they that they had and I was utterly uncharmed by him I really wasn't it, it to me wasn't charismatic it was just some oh, goodness there's him again he's just so annoying and I wasn't charmed by anything that he did and you know all the stuff I didn't find him funny you know he, he does all his sales patter whenever he goes to you know the various different houses to try to sell the magazines I just I just couldn't be bothered with them and so I got I really loved it whenever you know Star sort of rejected him a bit or sort of said you're full of shit or whatever I loved that and kind of got annoyed whenever she was bothering with him 
the sensuality and need and creatureliness of love and sex scenes in Andrea Arnold are unique I think um she somehow manages and you just watch it and think how have you done that how did you get the the camera into that point and she dares for the the camera to go fuzzy as as she follows just every movement and 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 every ripple in this film of sun-tanned flesh and long whispering mm. grass and the dragonflies and just the the lambent syrupy sensual motion of the coupling there was something on, on the one hand frustrating because I'm always frustrated when directors show women being orgasmic at penetration I just think it's feel it's like a very a missed opportunity but at the same time of course we're looking at a world where women are not supposed to ask for what they want and that mm -hmm. I suppose goes back to the, the initial point about this question of working class or precarious lives and how much independence you have and, and what you think your value is in, in that particular situation. A star is pushed by her love for Jake and her dream of them running away together. She she gets she takes bigger and bigger risks and finally attempts, we're not going to disclose the ending of this, but she finally attempts a $1,000 trick. And Arnold chooses to, to show butterflies mating just before that happens. So on the one hand, you end up in this in this scene, the, the, the scene of the attempted trick, which is in front of a is around an oil rig. And there's um, it's very explicit, actually, in terms of signposting from Arnold, that, that, that sex is this Promethean masculine process, painful to all with the constant furnace and the drills mm -hmm, going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite sure about that. I was like, so is that the male thing? And then the, the butterflies are supposed to be stars thing. So yeah, I don't know. There's something something a little bit a little bit unresolved for me. Although, as you say, I think Sasha Lane's Sasha Lane's just kind of incandescent resilience, just her ability to just come back to the moment and, and, and respond to the moment, perhaps triumphs over those questions of wanting some kind of you know moralistic narrative arc. But I did feel it was getting moralistic and narrative at that point. So that was that would be that would be my that would be my pantsbury. Actually, I'm not sure if I would have had that. Did you have any pantsbury you know, moments here? You know what I thought kind of undercut all that kind of all the sort of frou frou around all of that in terms of you know the oil rigs and you know all the rest of it is whenever she says, "Well, how long do you think it's got? How long is this going to take? <laughs> it's going to take very long." <laughs> That for me, that kind of undercut all of that business a little bit. And I and I like that. I think it's supposed just generally, and it could maybe just be my age, but I just couldn't really get behind the whole idea of these people and to not regard them as kind of just a bit. I didn't find it, you know, the guy's always getting his dick out and stuff like that and dancing up and then chasing him and beating each other up and stuff like that. And, doing it in a playful way and passing around the little animals. I felt it was meant to charm me a little bit more than it actually did. I didn't really invest massively in these people, but I did invest massively in Star, and ultimately that's the most important thing. So I get what you're saying about the, the frat boy behaviour, which is very full on, yeah. given that the, the first sighting that we have of the van involves mooning a, a hairy ass out the window but actually I found for me seeing seeing them as children seeing their togetherness in the van which isn't really togetherness it's transient and that awareness mm -hmm. that you can mm -hmm. be you can be flung out of a gang mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at any point made each of those scenes when we were back in 
quite tense. And talking about Arnold's typical use of the isolated female whom the world feels should fit in with a tribe because of some arbitrary reason like age or species, let's talk about the tense, thrilling documentary she's made. I'm talking about the the new movie Cow, which is a creaturely soulful documentary, which I found personally as gripping as a thriller, following Luma, a dairy cow. It opens with her screaming in labour, accompanies her with unsentimental pathos as she gives birth and withstands being pregnant time and again and increasingly feels the impact of being separated by calves, that necessary separation that fuels the dairy business. So we have a surprising film from Andrea Arnold masquerading as a documentary. Did this film work for you, Wendy? 100%. I honestly, I love this film so much. I thought it was absolutely superb and probably is probably is my favourite out of the whole three. So what was it that um, that particularly worked for you? What particularly worked for me was, well, there's all sorts of things, but here's one thing. We were talking earlier on about the whole idea of, of voyeurism and we were talking about the idea of, you know, this, this peek into certain sorts of lies and how we position ourselves in relation to them. And it was sort of a measure of how much I was, how much I cared about this guy that I felt such a sense of being a voyeur and feeling I wanted to look away whenever this cow was getting a vaginal examination, that I find it so intrusive. And I find that this was something that I, I almost felt uncomfortable watching. And I, I got to say, I'm not even someone who gets really gooey about animals. And just like, I've got a dog here. We've got a dog. I haven't touched it in 10 years. I've never even patted it. So I'm not a super animal person. And what I, what I found was that, I don't know if you did this too, but I was constantly mapping from this cow to other situations, to women, to ways people are treated. What I love was the way you had this kind of dialogue sometimes, just very cheery, removed voices, you know, sometimes a few words here and there from the farmers, who all seemed lovely. That was the thing as well. This wasn't some sort of really sinister, super, it didn't seem to me anyway, sort of like, you know, super kind of um, intensive farming. So these people seemed these people seemed quite nice. And there was the talk from the vet saying, oh yeah, clean vaginal. I think the vet said no discharge. And I was kind of mapping that onto conversations that I might have heard gynecologists, two male gynecologists talking about the female, the female who's lying on the on the bed. And so I just kept thinking that yes, of course it's very specifically about cows and about the dairy industry and about all those sorts of things. But this is also a film that allows you to take that and to, I suppose, anthropomorphize stuff in all sorts of different ways and to map it onto all sorts of human situations too. Yeah, and that effect of us, they are all very nice, but the, the, the fact that we hear what they have to say in subtitles because nobody's mic'd up because we are shudderingly committed to the story of Luma the cow and we are looking at her often just just right down right down the barrel looking into her eyes we're not looking at anything else so the result is that there are subtitles for the human exchanges of those who are around her and the effect is to give a sense of her isolation an effect as we were speaking of the other films of females being pitted against a them and Similarly, I agree with that interesting, complete identification with this protagonist, as I would call her, 
and the others that we've talked about. So this is a film about female abuse, about innocence, about the isolated child and about vexed maternity. I felt the same way about the intrusive vet and and the mother calling for the child, evidently becoming dejected, not eating. And at the same time, I found that that creatureliness wonderfully unabashed, actually, and just so slurpy, slimy, hairy, and all the leathery lickings and even that bovine vulva. But on the one hand, perhaps as a woman, you're looking at it and thinking, Oh my God, can you not just, can you not just let her just, you know, like get rid of her afterbirth and just have a moment before you take her off to milk her and not leave it hanging, hanging, I mean, hanging it was out. Dreadful. It was just all hanging. I thought that terrible. Oh, for goodness sake, surely give her Luma a bit of a break there. Totally. Yeah. 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 You do, you, you do have that. And, and yet at the same time, there is this sense, which we've talked about in, in Fish Tank and in American Honey, that the suffering, the shuddering, the wanting, the calling, the being is just part of this larger place of being. And although we we, we focus on the industrial process uh, a fair amount, so we get we, we get to see the quite sort of the, the, the penile plastic buckets which are shoved into the the, the calves' mouths instead of the udders. There is at the same time this above all, there is the presence of, of the cows. And interestingly, there's even the sense of, you know, the human world passing by. I feel like Andrea Arnold has this unique position in depicting what I call the urban pastoral. And she and she does it here too. What do you think about the way she uses it? Right. I, I kind of think some it's very different in the different it, it seems to me very, very different in the different films you know in fish tank it, it right so the light's gorgeous wherever i think the light is gorgeous wherever you are whether it's america whether it's the farm whether it's you know london stroke on the borders of Essex or whatever but that sort of pastoral in in fish tank is kind of very scrubby it felt to me you know it's kind of really sort of disheveled a kind of dis- disheveled scrubby sort of suburban kind of pastoral whereas it's so expansive in american honey and in American Honey, you know, it, it's huge and you've got the big skies and the effect it has on me in that film is, you know, that thing where when you've got a big landscape that all people seem so dwarfed by it and it just seems as though, you know, all our little human enterprises and their little bus and so on seem sort of so precarious against this great big vast, this vast landscape. And in and in this one, you know, what I was so, just what you were mentioning there about the very penile quality of, of the sorts of um, feeders or whatever, you know, I was so aware of the man-made elements that have been kind of, it felt they were very superimposed on this pastoral landscape. So you had like milking machines, you know, really garish bright yellow tags that just jumped out compared to the whole rest of the of the natural world, you know, the landscape, but also as well the, the animals and, you know, plastics, almost like plastic bullets. That's what they reminded me of sometimes, those sorts of those things that the, that the, they were having to attach to attach onto. So I suppose the pastoral element just struck me as quite different in different in all of them. What do you think? Well, I think what you say is interesting with cow, because this leads me on to thinking about how cow plays out as an everyday thriller and how Arnold's moved in her career 
from an actual voyeuristic thriller with its use of grainy realism like in in, in red road mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. antagonism and chases and escape in fish tank and then the epic american road trip to you know managing to show how even the life of a of a dairy cow and her calf can be a thriller and i think part of that is the flipping of the pastoral as being a place of rest. There's no rest here. The cow and the calf are at the mercy of the human hand. They're very nice, encouraging human handlers who are just, you know, going about doing their jobs. And although you have that that classic rectangular framing, which which Arnold's become famous for, which which sort of holds everything in, she just really plays that off with this shuddering super close camera so that even an idyllic supposed idyllic moment like cows rushing into a meadow feels like a horrendous car chase that might smash the screen Mm. at any moment so yeah so on the one hand that there are moments where there are renaissance groupings of rosy sunlit cows at rest in the hay there's that beautiful silvery night shot and some of the some of the night filming was some of the most beautiful of a white cow scratching itself against an oak while a a silvery white lit commuter train zips by but yes those pastoral places are you can never quite rest because there's butting and movement there are flies there's plagues either of flies or of, of humans and as part of the the feeling of the thriller and the unease there are moments of black humor particularly I found with the the oxytocin producing R&B Radio 1 music which is played to um, help the cows with their with with their milking Um, it's to help them get it on for for sex but there is that feeling as 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 the music floods through and this isn't music that is being scored by the filmmakers they happen to have captured the way that music is is used to um, put everybody in a particular kind of of mood. They remind me of like a ring of trapped women at a club or a bar who are just, you know, they're waiting to be picked. And there is a sinister moment when when Luna is the only one she's looking out. Yeah. And that that everyday everyday thriller aspect I mean did you did you pick that did, did it have a thriller aspect for you because I felt like there was a smoking gun at the beginning and I was just waiting for what was going to happen as 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 Luma reacts further which we're obviously not going to spoil but did it did it have that thriller aspect that jolting tense nervous feeling yes it did and every single time we you know whenever one of the cast was taken away each time I thought oh my goodness what's going to happen so there were the the whole way through I was kind of nervous for the for not just Luma but the other cows as well and the calves the whole way the whole way through it and you know what you were saying earlier about the the camera being at kind of like eye level or other level in fact other level a lot of the time and I mean the others just looked so painful they just looked so sort of engorged and painful huge in some ways that's kind of like an anti it was like an anti-pastoral really in terms of the in, in terms of that in terms of that sort of uh, that sort of presentation, I thought as well what you were saying there about the um, the night. It was so striking. You there were that, that scene where there was fireworks, wasn't there? There's was some fireworks yep. at one point. And so again, it's the projection that I felt I kept doing. That the cow is one of the cows is looking at the at, at that, and it's as if they've all the wisdom of the world. And you know, I was talking before about the acting summer and saying how 
for me, and again, it might be a very, very kind of idiosyncratic take on this, but to me, people who haven't acted before are often the best actors. And I suppose a cow is going to be the absolute pinnacle of that. There's no artifice there whatsoever. It's a cow. Yeah, so you're finding a role for the freed dairy cows because yeah. I was I was I was certainly thinking about the only thing that that keeps me tied into dairy and beef sometimes is my love of butter. So this this definitely um, hit it. That's so literally an anti-pastoral. So we're going to free the cows and mm-hmm. set up a cow acting agency. Okay, it sounds good. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, could be, this could be a new direction for me. It could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so then you don't have to worry about all the, the mannered, rather bullshit. <laughs> totally. This is me. This is my future. Yeah. The question is that, like Mia, have we have we got our hammers in our, in our bags? <laughs> to go, go for, I need, I need, I need to just tell uh, my neighbours um, around me. I'm not coming after your cows tonight, but, but who knows? I've got to wait for you to come over. We've got to do it together. <laughs> we will. We'll be a team. Summer and Wendy, new agency. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And just a reminder that Cow is out on Mubi.com 11th February and Dance Move by Wendy Erskine is out on the 12th of February. And we'd love to know what you thought of this episode, the ideas and the films at Twitter, Goddess Demented, Instagram, Demented Goddess Webzine. Better still, come join us as a patron. We don't accept money from advertisers, so we need you to help us from just £1.99 a month. You'll be able to talk to us directly, get exclusive advanced listens, behind-the-scenes videos and merch starring you as one of our goddesses in art by Sarah Jane Krausen. That's all at patreon.com forward slash what goddesses watch or hit the donate button if you're listening on rss.com this episode was produced by Soma Ghosh, audio producer Quiva Lavelle and music by Penelope Traps <laughs>